Excellent singing. Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Every time we sing that song, I am convicted. You say, why is that? If you look at the words of that song, it says, oh, hang on, I'm trying to show you the words. There we go. It says, uh, through the preaching of your word. What's through the preaching of the word that God, that the glory of God is revealed and that you see Christ? And so my desire this morning is the same as that. As I get up here this morning, I I want nothing more than for you to see Christ as we look into his word. And the passage we're going to look at this morning, I think, exalts Christ in a huge way. And so we want to look at that this morning. As we begin, let's have a word of prayer. God, we are thankful that we can open up Scripture and that we can hear your heart. And Lord, I pray that you'll help us to understand you better as we we look into deep into your heart and we understand your mind. Lord, I pray that you'll help it to motivate us to serve you better. Lord, we thank you again. We ask this in your name. Amen. We began a series last week by looking at the gifts that the Father gives us. And this, the gifts that God gives us should be motivation to spend the rest of our lives serving Him. So we looked at the gift of life that God gave us, but we want to continue looking at that. And I want to ask you a question. What gifts do you like to get? On your birthday, at Christmas, what gifts do you like to get? to get. What is the best gift? You don't have to you know, say it out loud, but think about it in your mind. What is the best gift that you have ever gotten? Maybe it was a, um, you, you know, a piece of article of clothing that you really wanted. What was that best gift you have ever gotten? Are you a good gift giver? Um, women want for gifts and don't want for gifts, and what men what women want Guys, take notes. Realize this. I don't think I've ever given my wife this, so I must be a bad, bad man, okay? Know that. The number two thing that women want as a gift is a designer. So that doesn't fall in that pattern, but they want a cat, a dog, a fish, a bird. I don't know. Purse. So there you go. So if it's designer, apparently it's good. But uh, that's what men want, season tickets to their favorite team. Men want an iPad. Men want a designer suit. So there you go. So if it's designer, it's okay. Take notes on. And maybe your wife is different, and I'm sure items. Number two, they do not want gift cards. Shame on you. I've never done that before. I have, actually, yes. Number three, they don't want, and this one should be number one, they do not want a gym membership. It's a bad idea. Number four, they don't want... Uh, kitchen appliances. So keep that in mind. They do want kitchen appliances. What men don't want. Here's what men do not want for a gift. And I feel bad reading this because as I'm going through and reading this, I've received all of these from my wife at one point. So I will say right off the bat, I am not... Remember that. Now, I wear a tie to church every Sunday, and so tie's a good gift. You know, my tie's and I am, so I need her to do that. Number two, they do not want socks. 
Actually, I don't think I've ever gotten socks for a gift, but... Number three, they do not want a shirt. So remember that. And number four, they do not, definitely, no man ever wants this. Okay, some do, but they don't want a book. So there you go, because apparently men don't like to read. So as you look at that list, maybe you now realize that you are a good gift giver, um, and maybe you have given some great gifts. Maybe you've given some wonderful gifts. Maybe you've gotten some wonderful gifts. Maybe you've received those things that you like. Well, I'm not talking about what we give. I'm talking this morning about... Because God has given us something that no one else can give you, and that is salvation. The gift of salvation is unique to any other gift because of its source, and its source is throughout all of Scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's the theme of, of the Bible. In Ephesians chapter 1... Excuse me, I preached this a few years ago, but um, I think it went well with what we're talking about. So we're going to look. And you were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked, your children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his, salvation is a gift because it delivers us from our past. It delivers us from our past. If you look at verse 1 again, it says, and you were. And this gives the idea of a before and after type of comparison. You've seen you know, people who lost weight and they'll have a picture before and after. You were before a little heavier, but now you are not. The phrase implies the change that took place that made something different in your life. And here in this passage it says, you were. And remember, this passage, um, Ephesians, is written to a church. And so it's written to a group of people who are believers. It's written to a group of people who have come to the place where they've trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so he previous passage. So if you will look at Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse 19. He raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named not only in, the, in this age, but also in the one to come. And it tells us there in that passage, what was this salvation moment? It, was, it involved a belief on our part, or on the part of a believer, uh, in, in the power of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, that God allowed him to die, but God raised him from the dead. And so then Paul then begins to explain what this gift of salvation saved us from, what we were in our past life, trespasses, uh, means to pass over beyond one's trespassing on someone's property. You've seen before a sign, no trespassing. Um, put my papers together. I only had about 40 papers I would deliver, but I would put them in a bag, and I'd put the bag over my shoulder, hop on my bike, and I'd go to the neighborhood that was about a mile away to deliver my newspapers. It was a, uh, an average middle-class community. It was an average middle-class neighborhood and, uh, with a variety of different types of homes. And, and uh, I, I enjoyed doing this. And um, at the time, we would have to collect the money. And so I'd have to go back in the evening and knock on doors and say, you owe me however much it was, and they would pay me. There was one particular house on my route that stood out. This house... Uh, was one of those, you know, it was a beautiful neighborhood, but this house was just overgrown. I mean, the guy never trimmed any trees, any bushes. Um, I, I would say he never mowed his lawn, but there was no lawn to speak of because you couldn't even see at all grass. 
And it was already a house that I was afraid of. But then you go to the house, and on the edge of the driveway, on both sides of the driveway, there's these big signs, no trespassing. And then you'd look a little farther in, and it would say, or else. <laughs> I never really knew what that meant. But I had to deliver a paper to this house every morning. And like I said, it was early in the morning. By the time I'd get there, it would be about 6 in the morning. And so I, would, um, so I was terrified every day when I went to this house. One day, I was going at snakes roaming his yard, and so I ran even faster, foot snakes in Connecticut, but that's what I thought. That is the idea of of the law, so how do we trespass against God? We trespass against God when we step over the boundaries of our relationship by violating a law that he has established. It says in that passage that we were filled with trespasses. Then he goes on, he says, trespasses and sin. What is sin? We live in a culture where the concept of sin has become entangled. It's become entangled in, a, uh, in legalistic arguments over right and wrong. You know, if we call something sin, someone says, you're legalistic. But the Bible says it cleans. So, you know, some will say, well, the sin of murder is a major sin, and if I commit that, I'm really a sinner. It's defined by the original uh, Writers of the Bible is the idea of misperfection that Jesus Christ has done is wrong. And so in viewed in light of that, to throughout the Bible we see it over and over again. In his sight, since the law come excuse me, since through the law come not committed a murder, I've not I've not uh, committed adultery and uh, yet of God's character. Say, what do you mean? Commandment says, thou shalt not kill. Obviously, killing would go against the character of character of God because I have now done something unloving. Because we've upset him. So I violated God. I have sinned against God since I have not measured up to the standard that Jesus and sin, because of that death aspect, distance us from God. It separates us from God. Therefore, I am not in Christ because I am a sinner. Um, I am dead. And so the Bible tells us that without this gift of salvation, every single person in here is spiritually dead. And there's nothing uh, that you can do by yourself to become alive. Secondly, without this gift, you are deceived. Look, if you will, at uh, Ephesians chapter 2. In verse two, it says, verse one says, "And you were dead." This indicates that somehow we have convinced ourselves that we are just fine in our sins, because a walk gives no sense of panic or discomfort. When I was going onto that man's property, I didn't walk casually and go, "Oh, look, there's a snakeskin. Oh, good." No, I ran. Why? Because I was uncomfortable. And that is, but the idea of a walk indicates a a lack of panic, a lack of discomfort. And so in this passage it says here, you were so in love with your sin and deceived that you thought you were okay. And so you're walking through life and you're sinning and you're doing what you want. And the way we lived, we were deceived into thinking that we were doing what was right and we were doing what was okay on the balance and we're good. This passage says there, gift we are dead. Without this gift we are deceived. Without this gift we are disobedient. Look at before we believed in Christ, we did what we wanted by following the world and the power of Satan, obeying and rejecting 
or disobeying and rejecting God. Before Christ, our nature and our character was influenced by the spirit that prompts people to disobey God. And the Bible tells us that, that what was it that drew us astray? It was, it was this, the course of this world. And what does that mean? It's, it's the natural nature in which life goes because of our sinful nature. And we followed the prince of the power of the air. Who is that? Satan. And so because of that, we became the sons of disobedience. That is why you don't have to train your kids to disobey. Because it's normal. It's natural. Our sin causes us to ignore and disobey God by itself. Our flesh does that. Thus, you don't have to teach babies to disobey. They do it almost immediately. Without this gift, we are dead, we are deceived, we are disobedient. Without this gift, we are defiled. Look, if you will, at verse 3. Among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the mind, of the body, in the mind, and we're by nature children. I believe Satan is powerful. I believe Satan is deceptive. I believe Satan tricks. He gave into that, and you did your own thing. And because without Christ, we are apart from the exempt. We are all part of that all. That all of us lived in our flesh and being, and it defiles our entire being. I've just done a couple little things, so I'm not that bad. But no. We are 100% defiled. Come up and get, get it. You know, there's probably a few of you that would be desirable and uh, grabs a little bit of dirt, just a little bit of dirt, just a tiny bit of dirt, not a lot of dirt, just dirty and, and because it's defiled. You don't say, well, just a portion of it, I'll just drink a part. Then finally, without this gift of salvation, we are all doomed of wrath like the rest of mankind. By nature. Meaning that following the way of the flesh and sin is not a learned thing. It's inherent in who we are. Just like you, were, uh, you are tall because your parents were tall. It's not something that you did because you're spectacular. It's inherent in you. And it's saying in this passage, who are we inherently? Who are we by nature? Children of wrath. What does that mean? That means we are individuals who are destined to be judged by the wrath of God. By nature. Even that phrase, children of wrath, is interesting because of the usage of the word. If you look back in verse 2, it says sons of disobedience. And here it says children of wrath. Why the difference? That word sons is interesting because that word son there gives the idea of choice as like an adoption. Meaning that there was a choice to become a son of disobedience. That every one of us made a decision one day, I am going to disobey. It just happened to be very early in your life. But we all made that choice, and we have that choice in each and every day. Am I going to disobey? 
Am I going to do the wrong thing? We have that choice. But that phrase here, children of wrath, is a different word because it is the word that means not by adoption but by generation. In other words, um, you become a children, you become children of wrath not because you chose it, but because you have no other way around it because you were born that way. In other words, every single person here was by generation born with the inescapable inheritance of wrath of God on your life. Isn't that, you know, scary thought? I mean, you know, that's what he says in this passage. Every single, this is who you were. I love the way that verse 4 starts. It's, if you stop at verse 3, you would be like, huh? because, you know, we are um, destined to a horrible, took care of it. <laughs> Thanks. Um, and that's kind of what happened here. All this bad news, and then he says, but God, I have the solution. We are in our natural state, of, are doomed to wrath from a powerful God, but God. We who follow the power of this world and the pull of our flesh are in a collision course with judgment, but God. The dark side of sin, then, can be overthrown by the work of Jesus Christ. So instead of facing the wrath of God, he desires to give us good things. And so in verses uh, 4 through 9, he goes through what the good things he wants us to give us are. Look at And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the desires to give us good things. But if you notice, go back and read it again. I did this uh, just last night. Go back and read again and underline how many times you see the mention of Jesus Christ. Because the difference in our lives from facing the wrath of God and from receiving good gifts is Jesus Christ. Over and over again in that passage, you see that he says in, in verse 5, he says he's made us alive in Christ. In verse 6, he says he raised him up with him, that's Christ, and seated us with him, that's Christ, in the heavenly places, in Christ Jesus. In verse 7, at the end. And so salvation is a gift because it constantly points us to the fact that he gave us love. Love is the... By John 3.16 is in the Bible because God so loved us. Love by his mercy. It's because mercy takes away the time when your child deserved punishment. And you ever have that's a that's a beautiful picture of God. It's not just a it's not just one of these things where it's I'm not gonna punish you and died on the cross, not because he deserved it, because you know what? He had never been in trespass. Christ gives us love. Life. Look, if you will, at Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 5. It says there, that's why in John 5.24 it says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, but we are now in life, and we are alive, and we have the ability to live, not on earth, but for all eternity. And this life uh, here on earth is not the end. Our sin does not create a finality. Our sin does not create an end. Jesus' work on the cross released us from the electric chair of life and set us free for all eternity to experience life in heaven with God. What does John tell us? He says that Jesus says that God says, I came to give you life that's abundant, full and free. And through Christ we have life. And you see the final one up there, through Christ God gives us liberty. 
Look at verse 6, if you will. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God gave us liberty to live with him. Salvation gives us new perspective on life. Because I now no longer have to fear this wrath, this, the, this end of life experience. I know that I have liberty and I am invincible until God is ready to call me home. And so salvation gives us... This isn't it. One day I'm going to have something far better than this. And that's why Paul tells us, if you really already have a home up in heaven, then why are you spending all of your time here on earth worrying and to live our lives? In verse 7 it says this, so that in the coming... Why does God give us this gift to point others to Christ? 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved. How is it that we have this gift of love and life and liberty? It's because of the grace of God. Because God gave it to us out of love and compassion. And that leads to the last thing I want to look at. Salvation is a gift because it encourages us to serve. And this is the really cool part because a lot of times we stop at the end of verse 9 and say, thank you Lord for saving me. But look at verse 10, if you will. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. Do you realize that you are God's workmanship? What does that mean? The meaning of that phrase is we are a piece of art. Now you can go to any art institute in our country and see some beautiful artwork but, but it pales in comparison what God wants you to be for him. It pales in comparison what God has destined you for. We are not here to serve because um, in order to be saved, us to be his workmen. Why did God give us this gift of salvation? So that we can sit and go, thank you, Lord, and sit and do nothing. No, God gave us this gift that we will do what God created us to do. Life work are due to the same mind. In other words, the same mind, God, who, who made you, the same mind who, who prepared salvation for you is the same mind that said, here, I have now prepared you to do a life work for me. You are my workman. I didn't just save you so that you can be uh, nothing for me. I saved you so that now you can work. God who made us and gave us this incredible gift of salvation has now prepared a path for us. And here's the reality. It may lie, uh, uh, this path made stones. It may be short with just a few years or it may be a long life of old age, be serving God. But in every inch of your life, God has prepared you to serve. Oh man, we want to serve, but we just, uh, physically I can't do this. Okay, God has changed him. Years ago, there was, uh, um, had a dozen castles for sale. I wish I would have heard of this at the time. I don't know. But these castles were for sale for, uh, at the time was one German mark, which is equivalent to half a U.S. dollar. So for 50 cents, you could go to Germany and buy a castle. That'd be pretty cool. However, there was a catch. 
According to the New York Times article, the uh, historic structures over, over the years had advanced to uh, serious stages of disrepair. Many of them were falling down. Many of them were almost unusable. And so the catch was this, that the buyers must restore each property to be consistent with his, its historical architecture and to be usable for modern life. It was estimated that restoration on these castles, as I was, gives us a picture of what God has done for each of us. This one bluntly states that our condition without Christ was we were dead. We were in a hopeless condition of our human condition that was without. Like destroyed castle is restored beyond. Uh, uh, we are restored to to restore us so that we can do what we were intended to do to be craftsmen for Him, to be His workmen, to do good works. So my question for you this morning, as we close, is: How are you responding to the work of salvation in your life? How are you responding to the work of salvation in life? Are you, uh, a, are you his workmanship? Are you doing the good works that he has prepared you to do? Or are you not? I can't evaluate that. Only you can. But I challenge you to search your heart and ask that question of yourself. And maybe there are some in here this morning, I can almost guarantee it, there's some in here this morning that you're still dead in your trespasses and sin. And I love you, but you're children of wrath. And there is absolutely nothing that you can do by yourself without Jesus Christ that's going to get you out of that wrath. But God desires to make you alive and to give you salvation. And I encourage you to plead with him today. Let's pray. God, I come to you this morning as not one who has got here on my own doing. Lord, it is your gift of salvation that took me from my sin, my trespasses, my state of hopelessness, my state of death, and you gave me life. Lord, and even beyond that, it is not myself that got me to this pulpit. It was you. Your word tells, tells me that you prepared beforehand that I should walk in good works. And so, Lord, I pray that you will help me to continue to do that. Give me the strength. Lord, I pray for those that are here this morning. Lord, I know. I know because there's many who have come to a point of salvation that uh, thought they were saved. And so, Lord, we look in your word and we see that there comes a point where, where we will all um, come and give an account of what we have done. And there will be those that will say that they have served you, and yet you say you don't know them. And so I know that this morning there are probably those in here this morning who have never accepted your gift of salvation. And although they've done many good works, they st still may be in that state of hopelessness. I pray, Lord, that you will convict their hearts. Help them to see 
that they are lost and help them to turn to you. Lord, for those who are believers, I pray that you will help them with humility to follow the path of being your workmen, to serve you, not because of what they have to offer, but because what you have prepared them for. Lord, we thank you again for all you've done. We ask this in your name. Amen.